if I'm the leader of my life and I'm the leader of my time, I need that time, I need that space to get quiet and pour into me so that then I can pour out to others. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you are subscribed so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. We have so many demands that pull us all over the place, especially the ones at work. And during that time at work, it's critical for us to have time to be able to pour into ourselves and step into ourselves so we can bring our whole selves to work. This is even more important for women in the workplace because of the pressures they have internally and personally. So as leaders of the employee experience, it's important for us to provide those boundaries and securities to allow our teams to be able to think and invest in themselves. This episode's guest is someone who is helping others learn to optimize their own mindsets and lead themselves with greater vision and energy. Kelly Campana is a mindset coach with a goal of seeing women in half of the CEO positions in the Fortune 500 by 2029. Kelly is here ready to create something different that requires a whole new level of believing. But before we dive into this episode, Sarah Solomon wanted to praise People First Leader Lan Pham. Sarah told me that Lan is an awesome People First Leader because of her focus on creating communities and connecting people. Lan has even created Community of Seven, where individuals have a chance to grow as leaders and shape the future of their organizations to be more engaged and motivated. Thank you, Solomon, for those amazing words about Lan, and Lan, thank you for the amazing work that you're doing. Now let's get back to Kelly and dive on into this episode. Hey, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the Leading People First podcast. It's been a, this has been a long time coming because we've been connected for quite some time now, and I absolutely love the work that you put out, and I'm really excited to learn more about what you do because you really are only on LinkedIn and I couldn't find anything else about your work. So I'm very excited to learn more about you. Chris, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And yes, we were actually going to do this late last year and then um, we had to reschedule and I love that we're doing it. I don't know when you're, when you're going to actually publish this, but I love that we're doing it to kick off the year together. Like yes. it seems right. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kick it off right away. What does it mean to you to lead people first? Yeah. Um, leading people first means putting aside my personal agenda, the corporate agenda, what the work is that's, that is in front of us and connecting first and foremost with the person in front of you and being really present and calling forth what it is that's unique about them and finding w- a way to leverage that for the, the purpose of the organization. But, but really like require it, I think it requires you to get really intimate with the people that you lead. Um, I love this. Um, I want to share with you. I have, a, I have a quote that I pulled up because I love this. Um, the quote is if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more and become more, you are a leader. Can you guess who said that? Because it, it always surprises me. It seems sort of very current. Yeah, I, I've seen that quote, but I, it's not coming to mind who said it. It's John Quincy Adams. And I think it's fascinating that a founding father, you know, like an old white guy in a powdered wig, yeah. like 
had these words and probably if he was here today, he would, you know, he would, he, his belief system from that time would come with him and he would see it as the same way we do. But I love that there's a truth in that. Right. And I think particularly the part about like helping people become more is really, and that is what, what I think leading people first is it's not about what do I need to do, right. They're not an, an, an asset for me to use. It's they're a human. And how do I call forth the best of who they are? Yeah so that they can be in integrity with themselves and use their gifts and their talents and their experience and, and show up fully as they are. I think that's, that's the job of a leader. I know, by the way, conversely, I think we, the term leader, and maybe I should just say this up front, I'm a leadership coach. I coach women leaders, but I often get asked, well, are you an executive coach? And certainly I have clients who are executives. They have executive titles. But I totally dropped out of using the the term executive coach because of exactly this definition. I believe that there are people who may never have a leadership title or have an executive title and what a company calls a leader of the company. And yet they have all the talents and attributes of a leader. They have the head and heart of a leader. And that's who I love working with. Well, I think you and I are are aligned in that, Um, you know, that leadership truly comes from anywhere, you know, across industry, across the organization, top down, left, right, right, is that it can come from anyone, anywhere, and we need to recognize that. And true leaders, like you said, help those around them become more than who they are, not just direct reports, but those that they influence, those in their, uh, you know, social or professional spheres is becoming more. And I love that. And I think that I think, you know, just, just knowing your work and who you are, that becoming more speaks very true to your, you and your own purpose and your own um, values, because the work that you do really is about helping others tap into who they are to become more. So can you walk us through, you know, how you got to do what you're doing today and how you learned to really lead people first in this manner? Yeah. Um, so where I am today, um, five years of having my own private coaching practice, um, believe better coaching, um, is, was really grown out of what I realized near the end of my corporate career was what I had been doing all along as an executive and as a leader, right? Not just the title, but the Mm -hmm. head and heart space of how I, how I called forth the best of, of people um, and supported them and equipped them. Um, the way that I, the way that I got to this was my own corporate career. So um, I spent um, almost three decades in um, corporate positions, mostly in public relations, but also in marketing and investor relations and um, very much came up at a time in more male dominated industries where there were very few women. I never had a a mentor. I um, had a few sponsors from time to time, but um, it was all down to me. And um, what I kept, I knew that I 
um, I knew that for me, the work, the actual tangible work product was far less important than what happens when humans get together to co-create and, um, and to collaborate. And for me, the best parts of my day and the best parts of my week, whether I, whether I was managing people or, or, or was acting as sort of an individual contributor were the parts where I got to connect with others. And, um, and, and they brought what was unique about them and I brought what was unique about me. So that always sort of had me, it had in mind for me that like, people are the thing that's unique about the business. And I also, there was this Orwellian idea that eventually we're all going to be replaced by robots anyway. <laughs> yeah. So like, let's like really like concentrate on the piece of this, which is what is unique about the talent of the individuals here. The other way that I came to this, um, my approach to leadership is I had a lot of crummy leaders. Yeah. <laughs> and they weren't bad people, but they were truly managers who had been given responsibility to, on the org chart, have a bunch of people underneath them. And we know that managers, the role of a manager is to manage the status quo, to keep it all on lockdown, yes. right? And so, and they might be VPs, SVPs, they might be a C-suite leader. Um, I, I worked with all of them. Um, I worked closely with a lot of CEOs because I was in public relations and I would take them on press tours and go to speak at um, huge events like the, like the CES. And what I knew was when you got them alone, they're just like everybody else. They have the same fears and the same insecurities and the same worries. And um, what I saw was, what they would be real one-on-one -on -one and say what was true in that moment. But as soon as you stepped out of the limo or out of the, the, the green room at the, at the TV station, then immediately they would put on a persona that wasn't authentic. And so that really, to me, taught me that like, yeah, I want to be the kind of person who doesn't just achieve a man level of management, but I want to lead people with a head and heart that's like very real. I want to be approachable. I want to be the same off, you know, off the stage as I am on the stage. I want to no, be the no. same in the boardroom that I am when we're sitting across, uh, you know, a table having a, a, a difficult conversation about someone's performance or a budget issue or what have you. So I would say, um, I love this quote, you can be a, a, a great example or a dire warning. I had a lot of dire warnings and I'm thankful <laughs> for that. You know, they helped to shape for me what the antithesis of what I was, you know, I wanted to be the antithesis of what I saw modeled. Well, there's this, um, I, I think there's a lot of pressure for high profile managers, we'll say managers, um, mm -hmm. to portray a certain uh, like you said, persona. Mm -hmm. What does that do based on your experience, you know, working with different leaders and managers, what does that do to their mindset and to their mental and emotional state when they feel like they have to flip-flop? Yeah. Um, so I love you said mindset, right? Because I'm a leadership coach and the um, the tool that I use is mindset, helping people gain a, gain awareness of what they're thinking and how they're acting and making sure that their behavior and their actions aligns with what they believe. And you're absolutely right. This is not only something that, that um, certain executives are pressured to do, um, 
but also um, they're rewarded for doing right. So there's usually there's a monetary piece of that. Um, And I will tell you that what happens is when they get really still and quiet and honest on a one-on-one basis, they'll tell you that they feel like a fraud. They feel Mm -hmm. completely inauthentic and it has them doing things outside of integrity where to please the CEO or for the CEO to please the board and the shareholders, decisions are made and actions are taken in such a way that are out of alignment with what's true for them. And little by little, it erodes their, um, they feel like they're out of alignment with their purpose and who they want to be. It'll, it erodes their self-trust. So they don't really trust themselves to even know or be true with themselves. And they end up settling for a lot of things or going along with a lot of things. They start to become complicit with things that are completely outside of their values. Yeah. And furthermore, we know this, it erodes trust with the people they've been entrusted to lead. Because people see through that. Yeah. Like this whole like, Right. We, they think that they have to show up like the political candidate and be the thing. And immediately when you go away and talk with employees, they can, they put their finger on that. They know that that's not authentic. Yeah. Especially when let's say you have a CEO who is in the news a lot or does a lot of interviews and they have that persona and then they come into work and it's completely different. Yeah. Like that, um, that's very difficult. Uh, that reminds me of, uh, sorry, mom in advance, but, uh, when, you know, when I was getting disciplined as a kid, right. And she's screaming at us and the phone rings and then she answers it and she, it's like a completely different persona. (laughs) Like nothing happened. Um, sorry, mom, but that's true. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that that's, um, that's, it's something that, uh, we have to be aware of because we see through that and the people that we lead that sends a message to them, right? It's not just, you know, it's not just eroding trust, but it sends a message that authenticity is not valued mm-hmm. within the team. It's of- not safe. You know, yeah. what so much, so often women tell me, yeah, that's, that's going to hurt my success. Yeah. Like we're taught like speaking up and being the one, the lone voice who says, no, this isn't right, um, that that's risky. And my question always is, risky in what way? Like, let's just break it down. Like, this is mindset, right? What's the worst that can happen? If I say something in the boardroom, which by the way, I used to do all the time, and my own boss, the C-suite leader, would roll his eyes, and, you know, I would, I would get the looks, um, And there were other ways that um, like my team didn't get, I didn't get as much resources as some of my peers did and different things. But at the end of the day, what are they really going to do? Mm -hmm. And what it comes down to over and over again, women say to me, but I've worked so hard and I've sacrificed so much and I've um, I've sidelined family vacations and uh, my, my need to rest after a surgery or to take time off when a family member dies so that I can maintain this job. I, it's so calculating, Chris, that they don't feel like, like they, they've already, the opportunity cost to get this job and get this position has been so high. They don't dare do anything that feels real and authentic if it could potentially 
have someone not approve of them or block their, or what they perceive as block their next promotion. I really say, are you okay with that? Yeah. Because that's the right trade-off for you. Yeah. If you're true to you and when your head hits the pillow at night, you can say, you know what? Nobody stood with me, but I stood with myself and I spoke yeah. truth and I stood up for what was right for me. And maybe tomorrow I don't have a job. I'll figure out a way to pay my bills because I believe in myself and I believe in what I have. And I can take this talent and this experience and this alchemy that only I have someplace else and I'll get paid for it. But what I see is people sign up for a life of servitude where they just keep their mouth shut and they keep grinding because as you say, there's pressure or it's not safe or whatever. And it's a decision we each have to make separately, right? I'm not saying that it's easy to sort of um, put your put your job on the line and risk being terminated. But my experience has been that usually doesn't happen as often as people are afraid it does. And in fact, you earn some respect, some gravitas, um, some influence when you are the one voice in the room. I can't tell you today, Chris, how many former Fortune 500 CEOs that I used to work with in their organization as their PR advisor as the marketing executive still call on me today and they say I'm calling you because I know you're going to tell me the truth yeah what's going on here what am I missing tell me what nobody else will tell me and I love that 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 I have by risking what felt safe at the time has earned me a place of talk about an opportunity to lead because leading, as we know, as you talked about, left, right, all over, it's not just downward. I get to lead, I get to manage up and lead up yeah. and influence somebody who's running a 30,000 person organization. If I had not spoken up, I wouldn't be in that position to lead. Yeah. Well, again, it, it speaks to your ability um, as a leader because you've created that space and that authenticity for people to come forward and be their authentic selves and to gain truths from you, right? And so that speaks a lot to what you've been able to bring. And so when we look at things like a lot of these limiting beliefs that people encounter in the workplace, what's the most, what's the biggest one that you've had to overcome yourself in your career? The biggest one that I have had to overcome in my career is that my worth is in my work, that I am only as valuable as my ability to earn, that I am only as valuable as my last at a girl, win, um, accomplishment, achievement. Um, And I think that that, I think I came by that honestly, I think, um, I'll tell you, I was brought up by women who um, were very under-resourced. Um, my grandmother grew up in poverty. My mother grew up in just above poverty. Um, these were extremely industrious um, women with a huge worth, work ethic and also always had multiple jobs. And what was impressed upon me is no matter what you do, Kelly, you're going to have to work twice as hard as the man, twice as long. It's going to take, you probably won't get very far. And so they set a bar for me that like, I just assumed that that was true, right? That just became a belief system. Mm -hmm. And what I learned, Chris, and what so many other women who I work with learn is 
it's not always a pay, the, the payoff isn't always there. And we go into the mythology of work is the harder I work, the more money I'll make, the more rewards I'll get, the more that I will continue to, to go up the ladder. And that happens at a certain point. I think the first 10 or 12 years of your professional career, sometimes, right, the ones who are known as the, 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 the highly productive ones mm-hmm. get rewarded. But then there becomes a point at which there, especially as you become, become a leader or you want to develop your leadership, you have to learn to transition from being a tactician to a strategist. And you have to learn that your work product, the number of emails that you respond to, how many calls that you sit on, um, how many ideas that you innovate, um, or, or the productivity of your team is not nearly as important as the influence you bring in your presence and what you believe and how you carry yourself and motivate, inspire people by who you've become. Yeah. Yeah. The, that constant grind is something that not only young professionals are told that they have to do. Yeah but specifically for women. And I know that this is a topic that you wanted to broach even further around women as they move up into more prominent leadership positions, that notion of grind, 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 get shit done. You have all these tasks to do. And again, you are rewarded for what you are accomplishing from a tactile uh, or a tactile, tactical, sorry, uh, point of view is very is fundamentally different than that strategic mindset that's required at a higher level of the organization. So can you talk about how women can shift into that mindset of being more strategic and letting go of that need to constantly trying to have to prove themselves through the work, through the grind, through the constant barrage of emails that they have to get through every day? Sure. Um, The first one is putting some boundaries in place and figuring out realistically how much do I want to work? I think what we come at it as what is they, what do they require of me at work or how much, right? This 40 hours, let's be honest, that's an arbitrary number. And I don't know anybody who works it. Um, And there, there was, there used to be a thing. I don't think it's around anymore, but I would say maybe 15, 20 years ago, there was this concept of inbox zero, like, well, I got to keep working until I get my inbox to zero. And I think now everybody's like, well, that's not going to happen. But this idea that, Like, oh, I will know when it's time to stop. We don't know when it's time to stop. We just keep, right? We get into a, we have a habituated mindset that says, if something pops in, I'm supposed to answer it. If somebody asks for a meeting with me, I'm supposed to say yes. And so the first thing is deciding for yourself, how much time am I going to spend overall working? And by the way, perhaps a topic for another time, When you walk away from the computer and you go to sit down and have dinner with your family, but you get an alert at your phone and you're looking at it, now you're working. Yeah. Or if you're laying in bed, tossing and turning, replaying the conversation that you had with your boss at 3 p.m. and now it's 3 a.m., you're working. So that's the first thing is put some boundaries on how much time you want to work. And because work always expands to fill the space that we give it. Yes. And then, and then in that time that you've decided how much you're going to work, 
set aside huge chunks of time that are not digital work, that are not paperwork, that are purely thinking work. Like if that means turning off all the screens and whatever, and I'll tell you right now, you need to anticipate that there will, a fear will come up. Because if you've been habituated to be the first one to reply to the email, to be always on, you want your always on present light to be on on Slack or whatever it is, this is going to, this is going to mess with your sense of identity. And the only way to overcome it is not to resist it, but to allow it, to allow that FOMO to come up and then spend that time really thinking about what your values are, what your vision for your career is, where you want to go, how you want to make a contribution, how you want to pour into others. And that's probably a very individualized thing. So if you have 30 people on your team, you really need to be thinking about what is each person like, what do I see in them? How do I call that forth? How do I equip them? What do they need? Carving out a lot of time for that. And it will feel like unproductive time. And you have to be able to allow that so that you can develop the skill of sort of just more cognitive thinking, thinking mm-hmm. smarter rather than working harder. And the biggest thing that women who work with me, my, my coaching clients say to me is, no, this is impossible. Like I, I can't like, I have one, I have one client who worked with me late in the late fall and um, she's in finance and of course it's pandemic and she's working from home, but still she was just, I was like, can you, what is, what does lunchtime look like? Which is a joke, right? It's like, we're eating while we're on a zoom or whatever. I was like, what would it feel like if you made a commitment four times a week to just step away and actually eat a lunch? And it took her a few days. But she was, she came back and she said, yeah, nobody died. In fact, (laughs) nobody emailed, nobody texted. (laughs) And so then she was able to expand it a little bit more where she gave herself more time in the morning and more time in the evening. And this is a tactical thing, but the, the thing that I used to do was I would literally block off the first 90 minutes of every day. Yeah. So if somebody's on, right, somebody's looking to schedule a meeting, my availability is every day of the week those 90 minutes, I'm not available. Now, obviously I get to decide if I want to now relinquish some of that time for something, but I always remember if I'm the leader of my life and I'm the leader of my time, I need that time. I need that space to get quiet and pour into me so that then I can pour out to others. Yeah. That's so powerful. And especially the notion of work will expand based on the time that you'll give it. I mean, I I constantly tell people that the work is always, always going to be there. Yeah. It's always going to be there no matter what you might think, you know, you might may have checked off your to-do list for the day, but guess what? Someone's about to dump a bunch of stuff on your plate tomorrow. Yeah. So it's going to be there and let yourself have like, space. I mean, I, I've told people and I do this myself is I have my do not disturbs actually very, um, very tight right outside of my actual work hours, because I do not want to see those things come in. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very important for organizations to recognize that pressure and that culture that they're setting 
for their employees and specifically for women, because I think that they need to be more cognizant of the pressure that women put on themselves. Thank you. Thank you, Chris, for saying that. (laughs) So based on your experience, I want to know, you know, what, what can organizations do to become more aware of that pressure that they put and that culture that they are perpetuating that is negatively affecting the women in the workplace? Um, So it goes to this idea of, um, and it was something you said at sort of the the top of the conversation, right? The pressure of of the executive to be one thing in public and another thing in private. And so um, I actually work, I would say about 25% of my work is corporate work where I work directly with um, uh, human resources. I might work with a particular executive to support their organization. I work with some ERGs and uh, lean in groups and different companies. And I will tell you that I understand the question is what can companies do, but I think that's too big. I think it's finding individual truly leaders, right? Not just managers of people, but people who have a, a heart for leadership and who really want to see their people flourish and helping them to figure out how to do it in their organization. And then when the success comes from that and people see that that organization operates differently, then either more people will gravitate to, hey, I want an opportunity to work in that organization, or by extension, other organizations are just known to not operate like that. And people get to choose. Do I want to be, I'm working right now with an organization that um, in the sales and the engineering organization, the executives who are leading those groups, this happened right right in December where they were telling people, yeah, pretty much expect, but other than the 24th and the 25th, you're going to be working all, all holiday, all like winter. And you're just going to have to figure this out. And this organization, the sales and the engineering organization, we're already pulling 65, 70 hour work weeks. And what they had at the end of the year, Chris, was a lot of people leave. Like, and these were women who had spent a lot of career years there. And realize that like the sacrifice was was too steep and nobody wants to leave their job at the end of the year but I'm betting that those women are going to be employed pretty soon people only get away with what you allow them to get away with you teach people what you will tolerate we've all been in these organizations where those people who get up and leave at five and everybody's like where are they going right or they go out for a full lunch and they come back and they've gone to their workout class or whatever I've never seen those people punished. I've never seen those people like, and they're figuring it out, right? So I think I think there's a lot of fear around being the one leader who stands up and says, I'm doing this for me in my org. Yeah. And then they can, it can be a, a something that gets expanded across the, the company and the culture, but culture is created by individuals as we know. Yeah. So I think it's, I think, the more that we can be emboldened to be that first one to do it and reduce the fear of, yeah, what is the worst thing that can happen? Well, I think some of that fear is, it comes from the mindset of how we're perceived. 100%. So that perception is, is that perce- the perception we have of how others perceive us is, 
is very uh, ingrained in us. Um, and I think that just comes from the human nature, right? Like that's just something natural that happens as we grow up is we're very, um, we're very self-conscious of what other people think about us. So yeah, if, uh, there, that's uh, a proverb, right? There's a proverb that says the opinion that the opinions of man has become a snare. Yeah. We literally like calculate what we're going to do next based on what we think somebody else is going to think. Yeah. And what I always say to someone is, they might perceive something of you. Can you give them that? They get to do that. What they think of you is a thought that occurs in their own mind. And the idea that I can manage their opinion of me by contorting myself, by denying myself, by acting out of integrity is only as good as what they think this moment, because then there will be the next thing and the next thing. And so, you know what happens then? I have elevated their opinion and what I perceive of their power and their influence over my life. Mm -hmm. And I have subordinated and diminished my opinion of me and my influence in my life. And that's one of the things that I encourage women leaders to do is be the sole source of inspiration for your life first, be the number one source of your own approval. And it's, you start to not look outside of you for the cues and the approval and the, um, the affirmations. The only reason that we think we have to go outside or conform to their standard is because we've just decided that they're more powerful than us. Yeah. And that, that, that decision, that mental decision, thinking that people have that power is, is, um, it's very restricting. It's very, it's very limiting for us. So we have to be mindful of that and and be aware of that. Um, Can I just also say, I think it blunts again, our authenticity. Yeah. And our ability to show up from the fullness of who we are with yes. our talent, with our uniqueness. Yeah. yeah. What a great, <laughs> what a great way to, you know, kind of make it come, come back full circle. That's fantastic. Um, before we wrap up, I would love to ask you, what is the impact that you are looking to have on those that you lead? As a coach, I see something in every person that I encounter. And by the way, I'm not just a coach with the people who are my private clients who hire me to work with them for a season. Like I carry this part of me as the coach, as the encourager, as the person who's calling forth, whether it's the UPS man coming to bring me a package, right? Mm -hmm. I want to stop and be present with him because he's serving me in a way and I want him to be seen. Um, It's true whether, you know, if I'm, um, you know, going to to the grocery store, wherever it is, I really try to sort of stop and be fully present and call forth what I see is the best in someone. And it might, I might only have 30 seconds with them. Um, but when I, but particularly, so I take that part of my coaching with me and that's who I was as a fortune 500 leader, but I believe so deeply in the power of the individual and in, and in our capacity to do extraordinary things. I want, I want people to borrow my belief in them. I try to show them what I see in them and hope that they will for themselves, not because I hold the standard for them, that they will step into that. I love that. Well, I hope, um, you know, 
everyone who's listening to this can step into their own selves and um, really get to learn more about the amazing work that you're doing. Um, where can people find you? Yes, thank you. Um, so for the purposes of my own constraint and simplicity, we talked about time and how we use it. I'm on one platform and that's LinkedIn. And that's the only place you need to go to find me. Um, you can DM me there. You can follow me. I'm Kelly Campana, Believe Better Coaching. I post pretty frequently and I post specific topics that I am um, either teaching my private clients that I'm working with corporate organizations with. So it's not just musings of posts. I'm actually like providing mindset coaching there for people. Um, so I, people can connect with me there. And I love when people connect with me there. And I'm always, um, look, I'm a lifelong learner. And so I'm always learning. And I, I hope that I walk with a humility to grow and experience from others. So it's not like come, come follow me or connect with me because I have all the answers. What I believe, Chris, is everybody has the answers in them. I just happen to have the experience and the tools to call it forth for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Kelly, thank you again so much for joining. And I look forward to just uh, watching more of your work and learning more about your work moving forward. Thank you. I'm delighted. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I can't be more appreciative of Kelly's work in helping others, especially for women and helping them find the right mindset in order to be more authentic and step into their own selves. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and click the share button to send it to someone who needs to hear more about Kelly's work. Let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn or Instagram. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.